All right, so it's always uh, an honor to get to be uh, here to speak with you, and I've uh, been looking forward to tonight. It's, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Many of you out there are fathers, and uh, each one of us have had a father, and maybe our fathers are still living. If, if you're so blessed uh, to still have your father living, and um, it's certainly um, a special day. My kids all uh, sent me a text, and uh, one of them called right in the middle of my nap. <laughs> so, so what did I do? I just had to get up and take the call, you know, because they don't always call, so better take the call. Um, so there are some uh, things about Father's Day that um, sometimes when I think about Father's Day and I think about my own dad and think of the... Uh, the good father that he was. Not perfect, but the good father that he was. And I think about the good things that he did for me and for my brothers and sisters. There's six of us kids. And then, I would tell you honestly, sometimes I think on Father's Day about myself as a dad and, and the failings that I had. I, I, I hate to, to focus on those things, but I realize the mistakes, the things that I missed, the times when I took a nap instead of doing something with the kids, or the times when I did or didn't do something that I should or shouldn't have. And, um, and then I, I think, well, kids are pretty forgiving, especially once they grow up to have their own kids. And that's when you kind of start to realize how hard it is to be a parent and uh, the, the, the struggles, the, the efforts to be consistent and the difficulties, the, the impossibility of, of some of the task of a parent. And um, I think that as we think about parents in the Bible, there's, the Bible is full of parents, many of whom were not very good parents, and some who were good people but struggled to be good parents. Um, okay, this is not really an example of a bad parent, probably, but um, think of Joseph and Mary. Jesus is 12 years old. They go to the temple for the Passover, and what do they do? They left him in Jerusalem for three days. Okay, today that would warrant a call to DHS. But, um, but when they got to Jesus, what did he say? When they were a little upset with him, he said, I had to be about my, my father's business. And I imagine that uh, stuck with Joseph and Mary a long time, the idea of being about my father's business. I don't know about y'all, but um, when, when I was a kid, there were six of us. We'd get load up in the family station wagon for church, and coming back, it was pretty easy for one of us to get left at the building. And I got left at the building more than once. Did any of y'all ever get left at the building at church? Come on, I can't believe that. Am I the only one? Thanks. At least we have one taker back there. <laughs> I've left. I should... <laughs> When I say I, I mean we, but it was probably, maybe it was my fault. We have left all three of our kids at the church building one time or another. And we take solace in the fact that if Joseph and Mary could do it, then maybe it's okay for us too. But um, there's, the Bible is full of parents, of examples of parents who were good people who failed in big ways often. And Tonight we're going to look at an example in just a minute. I, I thought I'd give you, since it is Father's Day, a couple of quotes about fathers from my, one of my favorite presidents, Teddy Roosevelt. 
who had a daughter named Alice who was um, a little mischievous. And President Roosevelt said, I can run the country or I can control Alice. I can't do both. Um, did you know that according to the U.S. Department of, Agri of Commerce, the most popular Father's Day gift is a necktie. Yes, a tie. Do you know how much it cost, according to the Department of Agriculture, to raise a, a child to the age of 18? You can get different numbers when you look at different places, but um, I found anywhere from $112,000 to uh, $233,000 to raise a child to the age of 18. I don't think I made that much money during those 18 years, but uh, it is pretty expensive to raise a kid. Um, here's one. A child enters your home and makes so much noise for 20 years that you can hardly stand it. Then departs, leaving the house so silent that you think you will go mad. I, that's kind of how it is raising kids, isn't it? This is from the Talmud. When you teach your son, you teach your son's son. And that's kind of a big impact sort of statement to me. Um, don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. It's also, I think, very true. Um, my father, this is from Max Licato, my father didn't do anything unusual. He only did what dads are supposed to do, be there. And that's really sometimes kind of sums it up. It doesn't have to be so complicated. Be there. Uh, when you're young, you think your dad is Superman. Then you grow up and you realize he's just a regular guy who wears a cape. Um, there are three stages of a man's life. He believes in Santa Claus. He doesn't believe in Santa Claus. He is Santa Claus. That's kind of how we grow up. Um, when I think about Father's Day, now I'm old school enough to have a, an actual concordance, and I looked up in an actual concordance, the word father, and it's in the Bible over 600 times. And over the, in the course of those 600 times in the Bible, father is uh, used often in reference to God the father and often in reference to a dad a father and a mother. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor, I think, given to fathers on this earth, the connection to God the Father. Ephesians 4 says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We have that one Father in common. 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's really uh, one of the, the great honors that we have, that God the Father calls us his children. There, there's some verses that, that I really love. One verse, uh, Ephesians 6, 1, uh, especially when my kids were young, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's a good one. But you know what comes about three verses after that. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do not exasperate your children. What does that mean? Well, it can mean all sorts of things. 
that cause frustration for kids. Um, and I think it's probably um, something that not just current fathers in the year 2021 experience, but Paul brought it up 2,000 years ago because parents or fathers struggled with the same thing back then. They did things to exasperate their kids. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And probably most fathers would say, yes, I've done that. I've exasperated my kids. I've said something to provoke them to anger. I've said something that embittered them. And it's the kind of thing that kind of hangs on our hearts for a long time. Probably our kids forgive us for that a lot more quickly than we forget about it. Um, and yet, certainly, it's an emphasis there in the Bible about do not exasperate your children, um, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, which is really the flip side to it, making sure that we fulfill that important responsibility of bringing our kids up in the training and instruction or the nurture and admonition of the Lord. One of the ways I think that happens is... You remember this verse from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your home and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you get up. Moses is talking about teaching the, the laws of God to our kids. And what I think that comes down to is when he says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your home and when you lie down and when you get up and when you walk by the way. It translates to time. You spend time with them, you talk to them, and they see how you respond to different things. How kids see the way that we model or show our anger, the way that we show discipline to our kids, the way that we point out faults to our kids, the way that we listen or don't listen to our kids, the way that we demand too much of them at some times, or if we show a double standard. Do I compare my kids to other kids? Do I keep my promises? All of those things, I think, come into this idea of do we exasperate our kids and things to try to be careful about. So one of the great examples to me of a father who is not perfect and yet who uh, modeled this idea of what did he do while they walked on the way and what kind of lessons did they teach? Remember Abraham when God gave him this really impossible task to sacrifice his son Isaac? And do you remember how many days they are walking towards Mount Moriah for the sacrifice? Three days. Three days of walking. And Isaac is carrying the fire. And part of the conversation that is included for us is Isaac asks, here's the fire, but here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And the lesson that Abraham gave him, I imagine is a lesson that Isaac never forgot because he said, the Lord will provide. And Isaac probably remembered that till he died, that God is going to provide for us what we need in the difficult times. That's all of the conversation, really, that we have for three days. They may have walked in silence a long time. I imagine it was probably difficult for Abraham to talk during that, those three days. But what he did say was of great impact and I think one of those lessons that um, is important to pass on to our kids. There's another 
very interesting verse in 1 Thessalonians that Paul is talking about, and he's, he kind of makes a reference to fathers that I think is very important. He says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. All right, so now he's going to give this example of how Paul as a missionary, as a preacher, tried to help this church and how fathers should be helping their kids. And he gives kind of three things. How a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. That's kind of a three-part sermon for a father. How do you, what should you do as a father? You should encourage, comfort, and urge your kids to live lives worthy of God. That's the job of a father. But I wanted to kind of look mostly tonight at a story that uh, not necessarily be focused on uh, fatherhood, but it is about a father who is certainly imperfect, which we can relate to, but who is doing everything he can for his child. This is in Mark chapter 9. And there's lots of details to get stuck on, of which I would try not to get stuck on these. But um, Mark chapter 9, verse 14 says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with, each, with them about, he asked. Isn't it interesting how some things about uh, human nature have not changed? People are arguing, and a crowd starts to gather. And that would still happen today. Um, people would be gathering today with um, cell phones to take a, a video of what's going on. See, that reminds me of something I was going to say a minute ago. Was, what is it that we do as fathers that exasperate our kids? Okay, I, I exasperated my kids way too often when they were little. Now they're out of the house. Okay, you know how I, I have found that I exasperate my kids today? So I take pictures with my cell phone, and it starts to fill up all the memory on the cell phone. And I'll say to them, now, how is it that I can save these pictures to the cloud? And what in the world is that anyway? <laughs> Let me just say that my son Stephen and my daughter Elizabeth have no patience for that. <laughs> the exasperation is that I have told you 10 times every time I hear, I, I tell you. And so they won't, I don't even ask, Judy and I do not even ask Stephen and Elizabeth. But you know what David will do? David will just come up to me and say, Dad, let me see your cell phone. What do you need? What can I show you while I'm here? Isn't that a good, he's like my favorite. <laughs> but don't tell him that, okay? <laughs> Um, that's, that's one example of how we exasperate our kids. I can't wait till they're 60 years old. There's going to be something that they don't know that their kids will know then. And that's when they will finally understand. All right, back to our story. The crowd is gathering. And interestingly enough, a man steps out of the crowd to answer Jesus' question, what are you arguing about? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him, in, him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. The, 
you kind of might have expected for the crowd, for someone, for the disciples to say, we were arguing, what do they always argue about? Who is the greatest? Or what was it that the teachers of the law would argue about? Why are you healing on the Sabbath? And I have a feeling that this father, knowing the background of the arguments, probably wanted to make sure we didn't get stuck on the argument, but go straight to the matter at hand, which is, my son who has a demon, can you help him? So the father takes the lead in this awful situation for his son who has a demon. So part of the question is, he brought the, his son to, his, to Jesus' 12 disciples, and they could not heal him. And so you might think, well, maybe they didn't have the power to heal, the power to cast out demons. But if we go back a couple of chapters, turn back to Mark chapter 6. I don't know how many weeks or months this might have been beforehand, uh, but it is before. This is Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. And then verse 12 says, They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So not only had Jesus given them the power to cast out demons, he had also given the, the disciples the opportunity to go out and do that, and they had successfully cast out demons. The twelve exercised their power to drive out demons. You might say they exercised the power to exorcise. Thank you. Okay. All right. Maybe that was... I worked pretty hard on that one. <laughs> All right, that's the best I've got. Um, but they did have the power to cast out the demons and they couldn't do it at this point. Jesus says in verse 19, O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I think Jesus may be frustrated and talking to the disciples here because he had given them the power and they had used that power successfully before, but now he calls them an unbelieving generation, which I think may come back to, towards the end of the story to connect. Verse 20, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. At the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It, is, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. As soon as the boy sees Jesus, he falls to the ground, he's rolling around and foaming at the mouth, and apparently he's been like this since childhood. The father is suffering right along with the son. The father is with him. It says he is, it has thrown him into the fire or water to kill him since he was a child. Who do you think is pulling this boy out of the fire? Who's pulling this boy out of the water? It's his dad. His mom is never named in the story. It might be because mom is at home with other kids. Who knows? But we do know that the father is like the physical protector of his son, and he is there with him every single day. Every single day. The father may not be able to even work because he is constantly protecting the son from the fire and from the water to save his life. Now, notice that it happened often. 
and it happened with the purpose to kill him. And the father, of course, is concerned about protecting his son. The father says something very interesting in verse 22. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But if you can. The disciples couldn't. He's asking Jesus if he could. The father has some doubts, but he asked for pity and for help. He says, take pity on us. The father is pouring out his heart and asking for pity, for mercy and compassion of Jesus on both of them. He says, on us and help us. Okay, really, how often have we had pity or compassion on somebody but not taken the step to help? I mean, some of us drove by Cecil who's stuck at the hill and we had compassion and pity thinking, boy, I'm glad it's, I'm not stuck down at the bottom of the hill. I wonder what happened. And fortunately, somebody had the compassion and pity and did something to help. That's really kind of faith expressed in action, which is the most important part, having the action to help. Jesus says something, of course, interesting. He says, everything is possible for him who believes. Look at verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible to him who believes. If you can. There was no question about if for Jesus. So Jesus directs the question to the man's faith. Do you believe? Everything is possible if you believe. And of course the father responds, I think with the words that every dad, every mom, every son, every daughter, every one of us can relate, I think, to this great expression that, um, that the father responds with. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know. Maybe those words should be a part of our prayers. Because we pray for things that do we believe? Or do we need some help from God to help in our unbelief? And so this man has this expression of faith. The man, the father, the protector of his son, who has faith, but not really. The greatest faith because he realizes and asked Jesus to help him in his unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. Do you see how human nature hasn't changed in 2,000 years? A crowd is running to the scene, and today they would be running to the scene with their cell phones to make a video of this. But here they're running to the scene to see what's going on. What is the commotion about? When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. This spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So Jesus commands the spirit to leave him and never return. And Jesus lifts up the boy and the boy is fine. And he gives him to his father. If you can only imagine the joy of the father at this point and the joy of the son. But the father who's been with the son daily taking care of him must be overjoyed. The disciples at this point wonder why they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus said something about this kind I have no idea what that means, why this kind was different. But Jesus says this kind can only be done with prayer. And I don't know 
if this is exactly right, but my connection or my thought is, you know, three chapters back, Jesus gave them the power to cast out demons and they successfully cast out demons when they first had that power. And now they can't. Is it possible that during the time that elapsed from chapter six to chapter nine, the disciples had begun to depend more upon themselves without prayer and not pray before trying to heal somebody and just walking up and saying, we can do this. And then they found out that they themselves did not have the power to do this. Only through God could this be done. Matthew chapter 17 says the same story. And it says, the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Which kind of connects to when Jesus said, oh, this unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? And then he says this, statement that we'll all remember, if you have faith like a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. The disciples are learning faith just like the Father is learning faith in this story. Well, there's a lot of other great lessons in this story, but as as we think about Father's Day today, we emphasize that this father was completely consumed with the physical protection and safety of his son, and this father had faith in Jesus And this father acknowledged what we all so often feel and can relate to. I can, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That's really my encouragement to each of us this week as we go about our lives, that we have faith in God, but we acknowledge that sometimes we don't have enough faith, and it's okay to say something to God in prayer about help me overcome my unbelief. There may be some here tonight who are struggling with your belief. And if that's the case, we invite you to come forward, whether it be for prayers of encouragement, to strengthen your faith, or even for baptism, we encourage you now to come forward as we stand and sing.